The Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center is a Peel Region nonprofit organization serving BIPOC youth who are either experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness, supporting them to change their story, discover new possibilities, and shelter dignity. This podcast, Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored discussion of content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, a podcast discussing youth homelessness in our communities while elevating the voices of those with lived experience and the people on the front lines fighting against it. In this episode, we're celebrating the one-year anniversary of this podcast with a very special guest. I'm Cheyenne Smolin, your host for this episode, and today I sit with a familiar voice. Maya Monez, our usual host of Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, joins me today to share her perspective as Ress's podcast coordinator. She tells us about what it's like to rent as a young person, what she's learned about homelessness, youth homelessness, and surrounding issues, and how the podcast has changed her outlook on life and how she hopes it does the same for others. Yeah, so Maya, let me know. How are you? How's your, how's your day going? I gotta be honest, it's been a very long time that I've been speaking into a mic that I am not in active control of, and that is freaking me out a little bit, but I'm doing good so far. I've had a decent day, and I'm actually very excited for this conversation and to see where it goes. So Cheyenne, thank you for having me on my podcast. (laughs) Yeah. That's a little weird, but it's nice to have you as a guest on your podcast, Maya. <laughs> so first of all, we'd like to know uh, the young woman behind the mic of Homelessness in Hiding. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Maya. You know, your job at rest, uh, your occupation outside of rest, life goals, hobbies. Tell us a little bit more about that. Alrighty. So my name is Maya Moniz. I am 21 years old. I work with REST as our advocacy podcast coordinator, and I produce and host the podcast, the one you're listening to right now, Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks. A little more about me, I'm a former Crown Ward with the Peel Children's Aid Society, and I've been in the system since the age of two. I'm also a REST client, and we'll get a little more into what that looks like in a bit. Outside of REST, I am a full-time student at the University of Toronto, Mississauga, and I study English, professional writing, and sociology. And in my increasingly sparing free time, I miss it so much, (laughs) I like to read, play video games, and write. Regarding future goals and stuff, I think everything's all a little up in the air right now, but after my undergrad degree, and currently if I stay on track, I'm projected to graduate in April of 2023, or June of 2023. But yes, after that, I'm planning on doing a master's in creative writing before teacher's college, and I want to teach high school English. Awesome. Wow. That sounds like a very bright future. Thank you, Maya, for letting us know about who you are and some of your future goals. Another question for you, how did you actually find your way to rest? So I was newly housed by the time I got to rest, but it was my social worker with Peel Children's Aid that referred me, and they referred me back in April 2021. More or less, I was having a really hard time finding housing that I could afford, and that was good for my situation. I was starting to get really worried about it. So I went to my social worker, and I said, 
hey, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm, I don't know. I guess I don't know what to do. I was living on like my university residence at the time. I was working as a Don and move out day was like approaching and approaching and approaching. And I was starting to get really worried. So again, I just went to my social worker and I was like, I don't know what to do. And then he referred me to rest. And that's actually a huge portion of rest clientele referrals from Peel Children's Aid Society. They are long-term working partners. So it took a bit of time, but then when I was referred to rest, um, I got in touch with one of our housing workers. Her name is Jackie Henry. She's wonderful. Um, and she kind of just started asking about, about what my needs were. Again, at this point, I'd gotten really lucky, quote unquote, and found a house at this point. But then she was talking to me a little more about like what my personal needs were, what my social needs were. From there, we worked to, I guess, you know, kind of get me more situated, more stable. And then as time went on, I got a little more involved in rest and like the behind the scenes stuff. I was asked to join their youth council. Um, from there, I also was asked to, well, actually, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but. <laughs> yeah. So give us a little background, actually, about how homelessness in Haydn actually came about. How did your um, role as podcast coordinator come about? Um, I always joke with my friends that I kind of fell into it <laughs> and I'm very grateful for that fact. But yeah, let me tell you, I was not expecting any of this. So it started with a youth council meeting. I think it was the first one I attended and we had a guest at that council meeting. His name was Ludwig Chapman. And for any sort of long-term fans of the podcast who are so nice and so respectful and listen to the credits, of the early episodes, you might recognize that name. And Ludwig Chapman is one of the former producers of the podcast. So he was at this meeting. He was working as an intern at the time. I believe he was one of our social media interns. And he had been, or he had picked the idea to executive director and founder Doug McCoy. Um, he'd picked the idea to her about starting a podcast about youth homelessness. And so he was at this meeting to talk about the podcast in more detail, I think just get the youth council interested in it. And I said, oh, that's a fantastic idea. I would love to be a part of that in terms of like, I think at the time I was thinking like, oh, you know, just be a guest, like speak my mind about issues, stuff like that. I've always been kind of verbal in that sense, just very an advocate, if you will, the people's advocate. And so he asked me if I was interested in doing a short interview for, I think it was Instagram, um, just about youth homelessness and stuff like that. I don't quite remember the specific contents of that interview. And so I think a couple of weeks went by, we recorded that short interview. And right before he lets me go, he's like, oh yeah, I have one more question. Um, do you want to host the podcast? And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, he fully got me at a left field. And to this day, I'm convinced that that one interview was meant to be a test to see how I would perform in front of a mic. And I guess I did well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was absolutely not expecting that at all. Um, so I was like, wow, okay, that sounds like it could be really interesting. I think I'll learn a lot. And I would love to get involved in this sort of advocacy sphere, because it's something I think is really important. But at the time, I really didn't know much about homelessness or youth homelessness at all. So I was really interested in that perspective. But then I had thought I was going to be a co-host with him on the podcast. And that's initially why I said yes. But then from there, a couple weeks passed or something. And then long story short, I think it came out that I was going to be the host of the podcast. And that really freaked me out because I, I thought I was going to have a partner. I did not have a partner. <laughs> so then that was really jarring. But 
I don't know. Overall, it went fine. I had the first interview with Dagma and that episode I think is really informative. I think it's really interesting. I listen back to it now and I cringe a little bit because everyone does that. I was so nervous and I can just hear all of my nervous tendencies. We've come a long way is what I'm saying. But yes, so shortly after that, we had done about three or four episodes, but then Ludwig and the other producer, Jonathan, they had both moved on from rest. They had gone on to other opportunities. And so the podcast kind of fell into a bit of a limbo for a few months. We had a bit of a hiatus there. I was hosting as a volunteer for a bit, but then I just knew that the planning and the scheduling and the research and stuff was just something I wouldn't be able to balance with my other responsibilities. But the rest reached out to me and offered me an intern position to continue the podcast and kind of get it going again, because it's a really important piece in the fight against the housing crisis, just as a form of media that advocates for people experiencing homelessness and youth homelessness and really just educating people who don't have the experience or aren't really thinking about it and just really getting the word out about what's actually happening in this space. So from there, that's when I went from just the host to the podcast coordinator and things have really taken off from there, I guess. Awesome. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. uh, My interesting story, Um, something that you said there about the difference between that first episode that you recorded where you were hearing your nerves and you were kind of um, just recognizing the difference uh, between then and now. How has the podcast um, developed you, developed your character, developed your interests, perhaps? How has it developed you? I think I've opened my eyes more in a lot of ways to issues that maybe I wasn't thinking about as much. And I remember feeling a lot of, for lack of a better phrase, maybe imposter syndrome in the earlier episodes of the podcast, just as being a host, because I worked with Ludwig and Jonathan to craft the questions. And then I was the on-ear presence. So I was asking those questions and then just hearing the responses of people and really hearing from a perspective that I had no previous real experience with. I have experience with housing difficulty and like really struggling to find a house, which we'll get into in a bit. But I'm fortunate enough to say that I haven't experienced active on the street homelessness or even so much hidden homelessness, which can be defined as just, you know, not having a prospect of stable housing. So couch surfing, staying with friends, stuff like that. But but I digress. I think just hearing the perspectives of people with active lived experience and the people who are really on the front lines has changed me in the sense of I feel a lot more cognizant of I think what other people are going through and I would say that for much of my adult life I was very good about considering what other people were going through and thinking about the experiences of others and how others might react to things or feel about things or experience things but I think since working on the podcast I've learned so much and I think having that knowledge has changed the way that I approach people and like the way that I make assumptions or don't make assumptions. And I think that's probably the biggest change I've noticed. Wow. Yeah, that's insightful. That would be insightful. And and that's true. You know, sometimes that's why it's good for us to expose ourselves to um, the things that are happening inside of the, in the world uh, with other people. Sometimes we may feel like we're alone or we may feel like our situation is the worst But of course, when we are exposed uh, to a certain degree to reality, we recognize that that's not the case. And there's actually something that we can give. And you're a voice on this podcast, um, you know, coordinating and and bringing on voices that have these lived experiences. And with that, 
educating other persons um, out there on things that they may not have been aware of before. And just like you said, you know, breaking down assumptions or, or superstitions in our minds that we carried, but just aren't true. So thank you for the work that you do on this podcast, Maya. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. To close off on this section here, Maya, what are some opportunities that you've received as a result of the podcast and advocating with rest? I've had quite a few opportunities as a result of the podcast and as the result of working with rest. And I'm very grateful for all of them. They are things that I genuinely would not have ever expected or anticipated for myself. So the first one was when Dagma had asked me in November of 2021 to delegate with her before the Regional Council of Peel. So for those who don't know, and I'm going to explain this to the best of my ability, though it is limited, each city has a sort of council that governs over certain issues and like municipal matters. But then Peel also has a council, which is made up of members or representatives of each city, I believe. Um, and I think it's every few months the Regional Council of Peel convenes and a few things happen. They discuss important issues, but then they also listen to members of the community and organizations of the community and important actors in the community. They all come together to speak before the council about an issue of their choice that is affecting Peel citizens. And so a big theme for the delegations in November was about the housing crisis. And so Dagma had signed up to delegate about rest and the good work that rest is doing and also the importance of having more support for organizations that are serving youth in Peel, especially youth who are experiencing or are at risk of experiencing homelessness. And she had asked me if I would speak to that as well. And so I was able to put together a short testimony, essentially, of my time with rest and and the ways that rest has helped me. But then I was also able to express a little more about my personal story with housing difficulty and just how difficult it is to rent as a young person in Peel. Yeah, that was a really, really cool experience. I was able to speak before some really important people as a little person from Branton, Ontario, <laughs> and just respectfully, but honestly, give them a piece of my mind and say, this is a very real thing that's happening. And I don't know what to tell you other than that it needs to change and Russ is doing things to change that. But then after that delegation, I was contacted by Metrolinx, which runs a lot of the news services in Peel. So Brampton Guardian, Mississauga News, stuff like that. And they asked if they could interview me for like a, a news article about youth homelessness. And that was a really cool opportunity because I was able to tell a little more of my own perspective, my own story. I got to speak on the behalf of other Crown Wards and former Crown Wards who, you know, are leaving the foster care system about just what it is to be an independent youth in Peel and also like what it means to just to be a first time renter, to be a student renter and discuss the different ways that young people get shafted by the renting process. I was also asked to speak on a podcast by another news outlet called The Pointer. And I think I just spoke with them for an hour about, again, very similar stuff, just my own experience, what I've noticed, stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. Like, all of that was really cool. Every time I walk into Dagma's office, I see the newspaper article on her wall because she has it framed on her wall. And so every time I walk in there and I see my face... Uh, I'm just like, ha ha ha, that's me. <laughs> um, 
All of that is to say that through various different means, I've been able to learn more about homelessness in Peel, but then also speak my mind about homelessness in Peel. And I think those are all opportunities that I'm super grateful for. Maya, thank you for sharing um, about those opportunities that came about uh, from homelessness in Haydn. Now we want to get a little deeper into your experience as a young renter in Peel. So first of all, please tell us what was it like renting um, as a young person in the Peel region? Stressful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, so stressful. The cost of living is so high and that's not even considering rent. (sighs) Yeah. mm. Uh, But yeah, so I guess to get a little more into that, I started my housing search in December of 2020, knowing full well that that would be a little too early to find something for May, which is when I was planning to move. But, you know, I just wanted to get a feel for the market, see what I was getting myself into. And the feeling was bad. (laughs) It was bad. Let me tell you. (laughs) It was very bad. (laughs) I've spoken about it very briefly in different episodes, but... Branson in particular has very, 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 very awful renting situations. Like, I'm talking, sometimes you're renting a bed in a room that you're sharing with one to two other people, and that's $400 a month. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Stressful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stressful is the word. Yeah. On that, on that same note, um, so you said it was stressful and you gave us a scenario concerning sometimes um, having to pay $400 for sharing a room, single room, um, with other persons, several other persons. Um, Was that your greatest struggle during the housing search? Was it the the price? What was it that that caused the greatest stress? Um, Honestly, I think it was twofold. Part of it was the budget. Um, it was really hard to find something that was reasonably affordable for me as a full-time student who's working part-time as well. So it's a couple things, but I think it all boils down to just, hmm, let me, how do I put this? It's, it's an ongoing struggle, I'll say, because I struggled most to be taken seriously as a renter, but I also feel like sometimes I struggle to be taken seriously as a tenant actively in my community. I know a lot of this is probably a little irrational in mind, but these are worries that I do have sometimes. Like, I live in a condominium complex, and it's a student house in a neighborhood of families. So I feel like I stick out like a sore thumb all of the time. And I worry often that if I do something wrong, which, what does that even mean? Like, who defines that? I feel like I'm going to get reported, and then my landlords are going to get pressure on them about about their tenants and it's going to become some big issue. And so I get really cautious, I guess, sometimes more than I probably need to be about noise level, following parking rules, stuff like that. Just because I feel like, not necessarily like there's a target on my back, but like everything I do is just so potent. But I'm sure that's that's main character syndrome happening. (laughs) Like that's me believing I have a bigger stake in everyone's life than I do. And I feel that way because I get so worried about people's reactions. But to go a little more into what I mean when I say I struggled to be taken seriously as a renter, um, I don't know how much of it was my age and I don't know how much of it was the color of my skin, but I feel rather confident in saying that both of those things played a very significant factor. Like being a 20-year-old meant that I 
It meant that I was too young to be living on my own or to manage my own expenses. And the fact that I was looking to live on my own somehow meant that I was a bad person because what did I do to get kicked out of my parents' house? Why don't I just live in school residence? Where are my parents? I'm going to destroy their house. I'm going to throw parties every night and cause problems in the neighborhood and do this, that, and the other thing. But I'm like the most docile creature I know. (laughs) I don't do anything. (laughs) It was really hard to get people to take me seriously as a young person and especially as a young student. Which you think would give me points because I'm pursuing an education, which is something that a lot of people value over people who are not actively pursuing an education. And that's a whole other discussion because there are so many different paths of life that are not university that are just as valuable. But, you know, you think that would give me points in a lot of people's minds, but no, it seems to be a detriment. But I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, like that's only half of it too, because being Black, obvious stereotypes start to cloud people's judgments of me, people thinking like I'm somehow a superhuman but then completely incompetent as well. And so that that coupled with the fact that I was a student and that I was young, I guess creates an unattractive situation. I remember I reached out to so many places between December and March, and so many messages were left unread. So many emails were left unanswered. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating. And even, too, voicing these frustrations to people, like I had brokers tell me, like brokers who were representing landlords, or just brokers in general, just tell me that I would struggle because of these things. Like, they just said, point blank, yeah, these these are probably contributing factors. But they also said that the fact that I was a girl was supposed to make my life easier because landlords favor women over men. And I don't know, like, by any chance, have you heard about the way that car insurance is handled? Like, are you familiar with the differences between a man's car insurance and a woman's? Well, to be honest, I just know that or I've heard that males have a higher insurance price than women do. Yeah, exactly. And it's just and I'm pretty sure this is like universal, at least in Canada, because guys are perceived to have higher accident rates. They're more risk prone and just like all these different things that kind of don't have really much of a good foundation to justify them. You know, all of these things contribute to that higher cost of insurance. And if you extrapolate that kind of idea to renting now, landlords tend to be more trusting of women and girls because maybe they're less likely to cause problems. Maybe they're less likely to fight when something goes wrong. They're more likely to respect your property and to not trash it or to make it a mess or anything. And so all of these sort of preconceived notions in people's heads about the way people act, despite the fact that like gender is a social construct, but whatever, all of these things come together to create what is a really unfriendly situation, I think, for young people in general. Landlords want career-locked adults or young families. They want people who are going to pay their rent on time and are going to move out in 10 years. They don't want to deal with the quote-unquote headache or frustrations of maybe student renters who are only going to stay for an absolute max of four years, or someone who is is trying to escape homelessness and maybe might need to move a little more frequently. They, they just don't want to deal with any of that. And that's gross to me. Um, no, you said something, Maya, concerning um, even the way that they base male females um, when it comes to insurance prices. And yeah, the question needs to be asked, is this based on factual matters or is this just an assumption you know that males tend to be um, 
more of risk takers and have increased uh, numbers in accidents. So yeah, it's, um, and tying it back to your experience, um, just with your age and also being a black uh, female, a black person, um, are these, these measures of assessment, are they based on factual things or once again, those uh, unjust biases and just assumptions based on a person's age or a person's race. So yeah, these are some things that I, I, I believe as well, we need to challenge our community members to really analyze their own self, analyze their own belief system when they are considering opening up their space to another person or not, that it be based on something that is actually factual. Okay, you know, does this person gonna smoke in my house that they tell me they're gonna smoke in my house and I don't want to have that in my home <laughs> or am I just making an assumption that they are gonna rob my home or destroy it because they are of this race or ethnicity, right? So yeah, that's an interesting, interesting statement. What would you say um, based on the typical steps and requirements uh, for house hunting or renting, um, which one do you find frustrating and unnecessary? Honestly, <sighs> so many things like I don't know I want to start by saying that I do understand and respect the desire and the, to an extent the need to protect your own investment and your finances as a landlord you know taking on a second mortgage having a second rental unit or even to a degree like if you are renting out a part of your home say maybe the basement that's your primary investment at that point I understand the desire and need to ensure that those things are going to be fruitful for you and not cause you strain. But that said, I feel like there has to be a certain point where we take our biases out for lunch and put them in their place. So when I say that, I mean, there are so many different pieces now that landlords are asking for. Landlords are making like such ridiculous demands now. And regardless of how intentional it is by anyone or not, the things that they ask for, they're very, very, very good at weeding out the financially, socially, and mentally stable people from the unstable people. So young renters, physically or mentally disabled renters, first-time renters, solo renters, newcomer renters, unemployed renters, regardless of their reasoning, all of these people fall between the cracks very, very quickly. And it doesn't help that many people in these groups are already experiencing homelessness, this kind of stuff makes the cycle harder to escape. But what am I actually referring to? Well, landlords start asking for hard credit checks, two recent pay stubs, previous landlord references or character references, and then co-signers as well. And all of those things, like, actually, no, I'm going to break it down a little bit. So students, for example, they often don't work during the year. They go on money missions in the summer, and then that's enough to get them through the year. So they often are paying rent out of savings so they can focus on school. So they're probably not going to have pay stubs. Um, people who are on Ontario Works or Ontario Disability Support Programs or Veteran Assistance, they're not going to have pay stubs. And yes, you know, they can prove income, but because it's not a pay stub, landlords might get a little uppity about it and then pass on you. And they don't have to tell you why they passed on you either. I think, yeah, like, really, if someone doesn't want you, they can do what they did to me and just ignore your messages. And if you go through the actual process of submitting an application and you get denied, they don't have to tell you why. I think there's a specific case in which they do have to tell you why, but I'm not sure what it is off the top of my head. I think it has something to do with credit checks. But that said, you know, that's a huge factor. Another thing, too, is a lot of people don't have co-signers. And because, honestly, 
being a co-signer is a massive personal risk that many people justifiably don't want to take. Like, I fully understand not wanting to be a co-signer. Like, if someone I knew was buying a house and they needed a co-signer, even if I trusted them com- completely to keep themselves regulated, I don't know if I'd want to be a co-signer for that. Because that's just kind of scary, honestly. But then more likely, though, is the case that people just don't have anyone to ask to be a co-signer. Like, think about it. If you're escaping homelessness, you are likely experiencing homelessness because your family and your close friends have stopped supporting you in some way. And there's a very, very real and valid chance that your closest, most trusted and valued friends are also experiencing homelessness. And then on top of that, too, like say you're an independent youth, you're going to be pretty hard pressed to find a co-signer. But then the piece, too, about hard credit checks hard credit checks do massive damage to your score especially if you need to get multiple at a time and people often do have to get multiple at a time because house hunting takes months and months and months in many 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 applications and those those hard credit checks they only last for so long before someone's going to request a newer one so if you need to have multiple 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 hard credit checks done on you your your score is going to take a massive hit and if you're trying to bounce back from bankruptcy or homelessness your score, admittedly, is already probably pretty bad and often not really because it's your fault. It's just it's a matter of circumstance. Younger people, too, if you're 18 years old, you're very new to the credit world. And like having hard credit checks that early, it can do major damage that is hard to recover from. There's so many pieces to this that just kind of frustrate me. And like the whole thing about like landlord and character references, too. That will weed out first-time renters and newcomers right away. And then people who have maybe lived in shelters or co-op housing, like, what are they going to do? Like, at what point is it excessive? Before we get back to our conversation with Maya, I want to take a moment to touch base with you, the listener. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see in the future. If you want to stay in the loop about what REST is doing to help our community shelter dignity and support youth experiencing homelessness, you can get to know us on LinkedIn or subscribe to the REST Center's newsletter for updates. And most importantly, if you are a youth in Peel experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness, we are here to help you. Give us a call at 905-863-1118 to get in touch with us. Now, back to the episode. So in light of all of these struggles, that first of all, you have seen firsthand, Maya, and you also um, have been made aware of that other people struggle with. Um, what do you think landlords and brokers misunderstand about independent youth um, who are renting without the active presence of an adult. Some youth just don't have adults in their life. Period. I mean, to not be facetious about it, I think, and I'm going to speak to my experience as a Crown Ward and just echo the things that I have heard myself echoed and have just seen in you know my 19 years in this system. A very real reality for a lot of us is just that the second you turn 18, you're you're just you're on your own honestly you're kicked out of your foster home usually and you kind of have to fend for yourself and then credit where credit's due some youth who are doing like post-secondary school of some kind whether that's college university or internships and apprenticeships also count youth who are doing those things are also eligible for the continued care and support of youth program the ccsy program 
And I think this is a program that's pretty commonplace and widespread across a bunch of different children aid societies. But I know from my experience in Peel, it is something we do. And then youth who are eligible for that program, they they remain connected to CAS financially, but then also with an independence worker, which is essentially a grown-up social worker, to put it simply. And, you know, they have all of that until they turn 21. But again, once you age out, you are on your own. And I think another piece that I want people to consider, too, is that just generally independent youth don't often have families, or more specifically, reliable family who are stable enough to act as a landing place when something goes wrong. Again, this is just stuff I've seen and I have heard echoed just by talking to the other crown wards who are in the system. You know, like youth workers have been fighting for years and years and years now with the province to increase the threshold for the continued care program to 24. But, you know, it's been slow going. Not much has really changed. Um, To boil it down, some youth just don't have family in their life. They don't have supportive adults. And they're just on their own. And they're on their own for reasons that are entirely not their fault. This is actually why organizations like REST are important, in my opinion. Because, again, even having housing workers... And just supportive adults in your life who you can talk to and ask questions of and have someone help you look for housing or go with you to look at a place or act as like the in-between mediator between yourself and a landlord is important because the stigma around care leavers and or maybe youth leaving the justice system or anything like that is just so potent. And again, like I've been saying before, just to be a young person who's renting by themselves without an adult or without a co-signer or anything like that, anything to indicate that they're in a wider sort of support system. It's just, it's really important for organizations like REST to be able to step in and offer those sort of in-betweens to bridge the gap between youth and the rest of their lives. And hopefully we can get to a point where the stigma around independent youth changes. But for now, we need that stepping stone. So Maya, what advice would you give to youth who... Um, our desires of renting for the first time. Um, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> as frustrating as it is, the onus is truly on you as the renter to know your rights because the legality and the infrastructure around renting in Ontario will always favor the landlord. And if you're not careful, they will take advantage of any gaps in your knowledge, any single one. Like, I was very careful during my housing search, and I did a lot, like, I did an excessive amount of research um, to know what was okay and what was not okay. And I passed on a lot of units because I was seeing things that just were really, you know, raising those red flags. I was pretty anal about it, to be honest. And still, I've learned that I have been taken advantage of. There were moments where I knew I was being taken advantage of and I let it happen. And I'll get into that in a bit. But then there are also moments where I just, I didn't know. Like this interview, Cheyenne, is actually good timing because literally yesterday at the time of recording, I had a conversation with my friend and I learned a really important piece of information. So I'm in my second year of my current renting situation, right? I signed a one-year lease with my landlords and then that lease was set to expire at April of this year. But then 
I always thought that the law was that the landlord and the tenant had to sign a new lease every year of the same nature. So for me, it would have to be like another year term lease. Or if someone has a three-year lease, it would have to sign another three-year lease in order to stay in their unit. And so in January of this year, I signed a new lease for a second term from May to April. And I accepted that at face value because at first glance, it, just, it makes sense. I just thought that's how it worked. But then I learned yesterday from one of my friends that that's actually not the case. And the reason why that's not the case just makes complete sense to me that I'm actually mad that I didn't know it sooner. So what I learned was that Ontario rental law states that when your one-year lease agreement expires, there's no new lease agreement. Instead, your previous lease agreement rolls over into a month-to-month tenancy. And that month-to-month tenancy stays intact unless both parties actively and legally agree to sign a new agreement. So the benefits of a month-to-month tenancy is really the freedom you have in terms of leaving. So if you have a one-year lease that expires, or you know you don't want to stay another full year, but then you don't want to move it right away because maybe you need the unit a little more time, or you're just not really in a place to find a whole new space yet, you don't have to leave. I thought I would get kicked out or have to leave if I wasn't going to sign another year lease. And so if I wanted to go months a month because, say, I wanted to move out in six months or four months and I didn't want to stay the full 12, then my landlord would have to let me do that. They can't force you to sign a new lease agreement and they can't evict you if you don't sign one. So the only way they can evict you is if after your lease ends, they have a legal reason to end your tenancy and you know, these reasons might be a lengthy, really intensive renovation that someone shouldn't be living in the house through. Or it could also be if the landlord wants to use the space for personal use, or maybe one of their family members wants to move in or something, or if they just want to change the unit's primary use from residential to something else. Every single one of those reasons as well comes with attached clauses and entitlements for the tenants. So that notice always needs to be in writing. They always need to give you a certain number of days. It's usually 60 days or 90 days. And depending on the nature of your eviction, you might be entitled to compensation. So for example, if the landlord wants to evict you because they want to use the space for personal use, they either have to provide you with new housing or pay you one month's rent. And I think that's just something so many people don't know. Like, did you know that? No, I really did not know that. And that's really insightful. (laughs) Yeah, oh my god. Like, I went on an absolute deep dive last night. And like, there's so like, there's so much more to it. Like, I'm actually so mad that I didn't know this. But say you want to go month to month. That also has its own set of rules, right? So it's pros and cons. I would say a technical con of going month to month is that if a landlord does want to evict you for a legal reason, they can't evict you until the end of your rental term unless you've actually broken a rule or something but if they just want to evict you for personal use reasons they have to wait until your term is up but then if you go month to month that gives the landlord power to give you significantly less notice which can put you in a really stressful situation so okay so we're in august right now right and my one-year term ends in april so let's say Let's say I didn't sign a new lease in January and I was currently on month to month right now. If my landlords wanted to evict me so a family member can move in, in a year term lease, they can't legally evict me until the end of April. In a month to month lease, they could evict me in October and give me two months. So that's something you would always have to consider. 
But yeah, I don't know. It was just, I was fully under the, the impression that I would have to sign a fully new lease agreement for like a whole new year and no one corrected me. And I need to be fair. I need to acknowledge for legal reasons, if not just out of fairness, there's always the possibility that my landlords either misunderstood the laws around lease agreements or they just didn't know this was a thing as well. Um, it also did work out for me fine because I knew that I was going to be staying for another full year. But if that was the case, if my landlords really didn't know, then that's all the more reason for you as the tenant to know your rights so you can advocate for yourself. But like, that's even another thing too. Like, it's so hard to advocate for yourself. What's stopping a landlord for, say, say at the end of my current um, lease, right? I go to my landlords and I say, I want to go month to month. I'm not going to re- I'm not going to sign anything new. We're going to What's stopping them, besides the goodness of their hearts, from lying blind me and kinking their plans on a dime in order to get you out? So, for example, let's say they say they want to move into the house or something, and I can't prove otherwise, so I get evicted. But then two months later, I go look and I see this exact same house listed by the same people at a new, like, jacked rate, if that makes sense. What's stopping them from doing that? And yes, you know. In Ontario, you can take people or you can take your landlord to the landlord and tenant board if you can justifiably prove that they're acting in bad faith. And then even down the line, you could sue them for damages and stuff. But like, dude, like at what point does someone just cut their losses? So many people who don't have the time or the mental strength or the resources to, you know, go out and sue somebody, you know, like they just they're not going to do that. And That's actually a huge issue that people experiencing homelessness and escaping homelessness face. And it's because, like, landlords will wring people dry if they can. And they'll do it because they know they can get away with it. They break laws left, right, and center for their own personal gain because they know that so many people are just going to sit there and take it because they literally have no other option. Okay, so what if the basement you live in is legal? You report it, your rental unit gets blocked, and you're back on the streets again. Why? Because you can't live there anymore, effective immediately. Why? Because it was illegal and it was unsafe. And as far as I know, there isn't anything mitigating the burden for these people either, despite the fact that they're the victim. It's a broken system. And it's annoying, it's frustrating, it's extremely difficult, but the best advice I can give to those people, to independent youth renting and to anyone who's renting, is to know your rights and to do everything within your power to mitigate risk and verify good practices ahead of letting ink touch paper because once you're in a legal agreement you have to play by the rules especially when your landlords won't that is that's some insightful (laughs) information Maya some I'm learning right now and I think that that's something that we need to incorporate somehow in our communities to educate renters on their rights I mean I feel like that's a hard word to use especially when you're living in a property that belongs to someone else but just things that would be able to help them throughout the the challenges and struggles that are very common to renters. Thank you for sharing that that insight, Maya. And so, let's talk about now uh, one year later. So one year. This is the one year anniversary, of course, of homelessness in Haydn. That's that should be exciting, <laughs> and I think very stirring of of memories, of challenges, struggles, and growth. Um, So please tell us, uh, Maya, I know you spoke a little bit earlier about the things that you have learned, the things that you have encountered working on the podcast, but what do you think people need to know about homelessness in Peel 
and the people who are experiencing it? What are what are some highlights that you have? Hmm. I think I want people to know that homelessness is more than not having a home. It's about not having a waking or a sleeping second of your day to let your guard down. And it's not it's not having people to go to when you're in trouble. And even police officers can cause issues for people experiencing homelessness. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot. People just assume that people experiencing homelessness are dangerous. And that is just something I want people to know isn't inherently true. Like correlation does not equal causation. And of course, no one can say anything with certainty about anything, but I feel people just default to that sort of stigma that people experiencing homelessness are just bums who got themselves there and they can't make their own decisions, or rather they can't get their lives back together because they're absolute messes. But everyone is closer to homelessness than they think. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, then you're very close to experiencing homelessness because you're going to get evicted for a legal reason that is not paying your rent on time too often. It's one bad injury. Say you work in construction and you get an injury and you're prescribed codeine or Oxycontin or Percocet for your injury because it's a really bad injury. Maybe you hurt your back or something. Depending on who you are, depending on your experience and depending on your life, um, you might find you might fall down an unfortunate path with that medication And like in the case of an injury, that's not even their fault, you know, like that's not a choice they made. They didn't decide to get hurt on the job one day. They just they took medication for for their physical pain prescribed by a doctor and it got out of hand for factors that are most likely and more often than not, not in their control. That's a very common pathway to homelessness. Another thing, too, is just some people just make mistakes like maybe you're in a bad situation Say you get into a fight and it's self-defense, but then the court doesn't rule in your favor. The second you're criminalized, like, that's a whole other discussion. Like, you're going to have a very hard time getting back on your feet, getting into housing, stuff like that. But just generally, too, just people make mistakes. People take risks that don't go their way. And anything can happen to anybody that can change your life forever. And that's often what happens to people who are experiencing homelessness. The other piece, too, with youth homelessness is just no youth chooses to be homeless. If you see a homeless youth, that was not their choice. Even if they were the ones who ran away, even though they made that choice, that's not their choice because they're a minor who was brought into this world by adults who were supposed to protect and care for them and advocate for them and do right by them. And they didn't get that. So I don't care if they were the one who left. I don't care if they were the one who did what they had to do to survive and maybe ended up criminalized because they ended up down a bad path. Like, that's not their choice. That's not their fault. Because the adults in their life who were supposed to care for them failed. A lot of people just don't understand that homelessness, period, is never a choice. Even if someone is making the decision to escape a bad situation. Like, so many people are in abusive relationships, and that's a really upsetting factor. But that's a reality that I think brings truth to a lot of people. But then we don't really have any long-term solutions for getting people out of those situations. So even if people do escape and they end up in a shelter for a little bit, they often get kicked out because they overstay. And what happens? They're homeless. People are closer to it than they think. And you never know what's going to happen to you or in your life. The last thing I think I want to say, too, is a lot of people get really skittish around people experiencing homelessness 
or get frustrated with them when they maybe refuse help for certain things or don't want to talk to you or anything like that. And something I've really learned is just people when they've been living on the streets, they become very desperate because they're trying to survive and affluent or otherwise stable people don't do anything to help them. And something I want to make expressly clear is that that doesn't make them bad people and that doesn't make them any less deserving of housing or deserving of homelessness or any other adversity they face. Sometimes they do bad and unfortunate things because they're trying to survive. And the fact that that desperation exists cannot be ignored by the folks fighting for their lives. So it's kind of one of those situations where, like, it takes one to know one, you know, where if you know that you've been in a situation where you would do a certain thing or have done certain things, you're going to expect that same kind of behavior from other people who are in the exact same situation as you. And so something I've learned is that people who have experienced homelessness become really distrusting and really hesitant to open up to people and to accept help because so many people have wronged them. People have wronged them on the streets during their experience of homelessness and people have wronged them before then. And that's probably why they're homeless. Hmm. So what I'm hearing from you, Maya, is this almost like this commission for us as community persons to have a compassionate perspective um, towards those who are experiencing homelessness, those who are at risk of experiencing homelessness, um, getting to be more aware of their background and not just looking at their their homelessness or their at risk um, situation as um, you know an isolated part of their life, but taking the time to really do our research and asking questions, being a compassionate person really, and and looking upon this person as, and recognizing that, that this could be us or this could have been us as individuals, right? And I mean, something that just came to my mind when you were speaking, how do we know that a person who we see, um, perhaps it's more visible, um, somebody who is suffering from homelessness, how do we know it wasn't just one bad, business decision, right? This could be a, a millionaire, but one bad business decision and, and family and friends forsake that person. And, and now they're in this situation. And so, you know, when you said like, we can be so close to that closer than we really think. I think that that's something that stings, but it's also very humbling and necessary as human beings and helps us to really, um, once again, have that compassionate perspective towards our fellow neighbors, our fellow human people, right? Because that's what we are, and everybody ha- deserves that 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 dignity as a human being, whether their clothes uh, purposely have holes in them. And I don't mean to be uh, abrupt or rude in saying that, but you know, there's a style now. Or maybe they 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 look a little bit more visibly homeless. But um, either way, everybody deserves that that sense of dignity. So that was um, thank you for that, Maya. So once again, so now, of course, you you would know uh, where this podcast or how this podcast has evolved from where it first began. Can you explain a little bit like what that looked like when it was just starting out in this position as the host till now? How has it grown? How has it evolved from then? I would say, like, I guess in terms of how the podcast has evolved, The biggest thing, of course, is just how we talk about 
homelessness more broadly than we anticipated because of of course rest is a youth serving organization but then a lot of topics on the podcast discuss either homelessness in general or adjacent issues to homelessness but i think that's actually a very good thing our youth are between the cracks but over the last year i very much have learned that it's more than youth and there's more than one crack you know there's so many different pieces that are overlooked and different demographics and different Um, marginalized folks in those different spaces. But one thing I will say, though, is that if it impacts homelessness, it impacts youth homelessness, because youth homelessness is a sector of homelessness. And so being able to more broader topics like homeless health care or gender-based violence, even just homelessness and politics and how those two intersect and how politicians and the broader community of Peel think about homelessness and stuff, all of that's been really interesting and I think very insightful and important to informing the conversation of homelessness in general in Peel, but also informing the conversation of youth homelessness. But it all certainly comes back together in a way that I'm very, very proud of. So I'm going to pull your line back on you. Um, But I do want to ask you this for real. Um, Where do you want this discussion to go? And what should I or our listeners tackle first? Huh. It's weird being on the other side. (laughs) Um, I would like for citizens of Peel to take their biases out to back pasture and say goodbye. I really would like to see more people get involved and get to know what's happening in the homelessness sphere. Because, again, it's so many people just have preconceived notions that are not at all founded in any form of reality. And I would like people to see that all it takes is just one bad decision on one bad day to change your life forever. And I would like for people to do more to help others as well, to be a little more altruistic, to do more than to think about only themselves. Like we talk a lot on this podcast about nimbyism or the idea of not in my backyard. And I would like for people to understand, yes, it is in your backyard. You as a community member of Peel and as a resident of Ontario and as a citizen of Canada or as a permanent resident of Canada or even just an immigrant or someone who's visiting, when you are in this country, it is part of your world. It is part of your problem. And I would really like for more people and to advocate for people who can't advocate for themselves And it's not that they can't advocate for themselves because they're incapable. It's because people don't want to listen. It's that simple. So I think if I'm to leave it there, I want people to stand up for the people that governments won't listen to, that politicians don't care about. I want us to support the people the way they want to be supported. Homelessness in Hyden has been a growing experience for host Maya Monez. She has become more aware of the challenges of those who are experiencing homelessness or at risk of experiencing homelessness. She advocates as a voice out of similar background for youth facing this prevalent issue. She calls out to both community members and institutions to be more aware and act instead of merely thinking concerning the issue of homelessness and for institutions to provide more education to those suffering in this matter. Her advice to youth who are looking to rent for the first time, the onus is on you. Educate yourself and know that there are supports to aid you in your journey. That wraps up this episode of Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks. If you're interested in supporting a cause tackling youth homelessness, 
I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Cheyenne Smallin signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by Rest Centers through the special dedication of our coordinator, Maya Mones, our guest host, Cheyenne Smallin, our Director of Youth Engagement, Romaine Redman, and RESS's Executive Director and Founder, Dag McCoy. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center.